while you're making your way back to your seats and opening your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, in those two chapters this morning, I want to do a couple of things. I want to spend most of the time talking about a, a spiritual principle, a biblical principle that's revealed in these chapters. And then secondly, I want to talk about some very practical, three very practical things. Now these practical things I'm going to deal with first and just be real quick. They're not inspiring. You're not going to jump up and shout and say amen and get all excited about these things. But they're very important because we're talking about money and handling money and giving. And so these practical things are important. I just want to point them out to you because not only are they important, but they're also biblical. And the first one found in chapter 8 is this. Financial integrity is important. How we deal with money, how we handle it, being honest and having integrity matters. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, verses 20 and, and, and following, Paul tells the Corinthians who are raising this offering for saints in Jerusalem. You remember they're Christians in Jerusalem of a Jewish background and they're poor and persecuted. And so he's taking up an offering from these Corinthians, these Gentile Christians, to help them. And he says, I'm sending Titus and two other men to collect the offering, and they'll go with me when we take it to Jerusalem. But also in chapter 16 of the first letter to Corinthians, Paul said, now you can also appoint your own representative to go with us. And in each of the churches where Paul collected an offering for the Christians in Jerusalem, those churches sent a representative. So it was Paul and his, his associates, but also representatives from each church. Now, that was for many purposes. One was in that large group. There was safety. There was security traveling as a group. But secondly, it was for accountability, integrity, so that each of the church had someone, each of the churches had someone who represented them, could oversee what was happening, make sure things were handled properly. That's just one example in Scripture of how God talks about having financial integrity matters. And so in, in our church, in your church, accountability and transparency and, and integrity when it comes to financial matters is important. That's why we have an audit. That's why uh, uh, we have a stewardship committee that oversees this stuff and makes decisions, and we have procedures and policies in place. And when you give to this building fund, it's not going to be used to do something other than what we're we're doing. It that that matters. So financial integrity matters. Now that doesn't, you know, that's not inspiring, but it but it's important. I just want to point that out to you. And it's a biblical principle. The second one is this. It's important that we have a plan for systematic giving so that we're not haphazard and you know, fly by the seat of our, our, our pants. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, at the end of that first letter to Corinthians, when he was telling them about this offering that he would collect from them later, he said, now here's how I want you to do it. On the first day every week, first day of every week, the Lord's Day, today, put some aside. That way when I show up later, and collect the offering, it's all together. And you won't have to be running around trying to pull it together at the last minute. See, God is a God who is about routine, about systems, about plans. God is the one who created this world. Every, every day there's night and day. Every year there are the, the four seasons. I mean, the earth turns. God created that, the world this way. The week, the seven days, the Lord's day, the Sabbath. God's about a systematic plan. Because when you have a plan... You're more effective, you're more consistent, you do better, you do more, right? What's the old saying? Have a plan and work the plan. 
Have a plan, work the plan. Have a plan, work the plan. And all of us are going to be more consistent, more faithful in giving when we have a a plan, a systematic plan that we follow. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's what this campaign does. That's what normal giving at the church does. That's the reason we give you, for instance, um, offering envelopes to help you have a have a, a plan, you, your regular weekly giving or monthly giving, however you choose to do it. And, and in today's culture, able to give online, and you can set that up as a recurring gift. All of that matters. It's the same thing like every month we make a house payment. Every month you pay your rent. You pay Every month you make your car payment, your insurance payment, your utilities, your gas, uh, your phone bill. That, that's the same thing, having a, having a plan. So that's the second you know, that doesn't get us all excited. We don't stand up and shout and say, praise Jesus, when we talk about that. But it's practical, and it matters, and it's biblical. The third practical thing that is important is this, reminders. Reminders to do what God's calling us to do, what we said we want to do, what we commit ourselves to do. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Paul says, I urge Titus, that's Paul's associate, that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. And when you read the rest of chapter 8 and chapter 9, I won't bore you with the minutia, but he's sending these men not only to collect the offering, but to remind them to finish what they started, to go ahead and follow through and get it done. All of us need reminders. Let me ask you, do you think the bank sends you that monthly reminder that your payment on your house is due because they like you? Hmm. Do you think York Electric or the city of Rock Hill or wherever you get your electric bill or gas bill sends you a monthly reminder because they think, hey, you're cool and we just want to communicate with you? It's a reminder. You owe us. Okay? It's due. And God in Scripture says there are things we need to be reminded of. Every Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week is a reminder. It's time to go to church time to worship with the family of God. It's a reminder there's a God who created this world. We didn't create it. God builds reminders and routines and systems, and we need those. And so we're going to do reminders in this church. For instance, um, in your giving, you get quarterly giving statements. That's to let you, you know, monitor, make sure the records are accurate, but it's also a reminder. Next year in February or March, We'll have a one-year celebration for this 6 in 6 campaign and talk about how we, what God's done this last year and we'll celebrate and give Him thanks and we'll renew our commitments and new members will make commitments. In the fall each year, we're going to have a, a, a chest of Joash offering that's separate from the 6 and 6 campaign and everything we put in that chest on that one Sunday will be additional payment against the principal. So Monisa and I are making a commitment this, this morning, but what we put in the chest of Joash in the fall will be separate from that that commitment. All of it is extra principle. That's a reminder. There will be other things, sermons and other things. So reminders are biblical. They're important. They make a difference. We do better when we're reminded and when we have a plan. So, again, most of you are not going to shout to Jesus about those things, but they're biblical. They're important. They matter. And I just want to share them with you and get that out there. Now, let's talk about that spiritual principle that I think is so important revealed in these two chapters. found in chapter 9 very explicitly. Look at verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It is a principle that God has built into creation itself that what I get out of something in large measure is determined by what I put into it. Is that not true? 
I mean, Ricky would not be state champion in wrestling if he had not practiced, if he had not got his weight right. There's stuff that goes, whatever, whatever you accomplish, whatever you're a part of in life, the outcome is shaped in great measure by what you put into it, correct? It's true in life. God made the world, the universe, this earth that way. Laziness gets bad results. Effort, better things happen. Same thing is true in the spiritual realm, in our relationship with Christ. If, if, if I'm not willing to put in the effort to read Scripture and pray, I'm not going to grow. If I'm not willing to, to talk to people and invite them to church and share the gospel, God's not going to use me to see anybody come to faith in Christ. Input shapes outcome. That's just how life works, and that's what he's talking about here. And some of those blessings... God wants to give us because we are faithful, we're consistent, will be total surprises. Things we did not see coming, things we never imagined. Ian was a 12-year-old boy. Three years ago, he and his, his father went to watch the Arizona Diamondbacks play baseball. That's his favorite team. Lives out in Arizona. And um, during the game, there was one of those foul balls, and you know how everybody tries to catch a foul ball? And he wanted it, and he just missed it, and it bounced, and Usher snagged it. And looking in Ian's direction, the Usher tossed the ball, and Ian grabbed it. And he was all excited, shut it off to his dad, and everybody around him. And suddenly Ian noticed some people around him, and the Usher were pointing to another little boy, much younger, a few rows down, who had this sad look of despair on his face because he didn't get the ball. And so Ian, on his own, rushes down those steps and hands that little boy the baseball. And what Ian didn't know was that the two men who do the television broadcast for the Diamondbacks were watching all of it, and, and it was caught on TV during the game, the live broadcast. And they were bragging on Ian while he was doing this. So after the game, they invited Ian up to the broadcast booth. He got to meet them, and uh, he was given free tickets to future games at the Diamondbacks there in, there in, in Phoenix, outside Phoenix. And, and uh, he also was given a baseball bat autographed by his favorite Diamondbacks player. And when Ian was going down those steps to hand that baseball to that sad-looking little boy, he didn't know any of that was going to happen. That wasn't on his mind. But that's how life works. We've all heard stories. We've seen things like that, right? Well, God does that. You, you and I are doing what God's calling us to do. We're, we're hearing from Him. We're listening. We're obeying. We're being faithful. We're doing the right stuff. And the whole time, God's watching. It's not in our mind, you know, what might happen later. We're just doing what we're supposed to do right now. And God's watching. And God says, that's cool. That's good. That's righteous. You're doing the right thing. I've got a blessing for you. You want to do a little bit? You want to get a little bit? You do more? God says my blessing is more. Now, some of, the, some of those blessings are financial. Some of those blessings are spiritual. Some of those blessings are relational. Some of those blessings are just opportunities in life. They can take so many shapes. And here's something else. Sometimes you and I can draw a direct line, a straight line between A and B. Okay? 
a straight line between A and B. And, and we know that because I did A, B happened. Straight line, right? But other times, the blessings of God in our life, because of our faithfulness, it's like A to C. It skips B and, and there's no straight line. You don't even see a line. It's invisible. But God says, because you are faithful in A, I'm going to bless in C. There's no line that you can see because it's something I'm doing. You can't draw a direct connection, but, but, the, but C is because of A, because I did it. I did it in your life. And if you don't do A, you don't get C. And I, I've said so many times over the years that one of the greatest tragedies in life are, are lost blessings that we know nothing about. Because they're indirect. But there were things God wanted to do, doors God wanted to open, things God wanted to accomplish. It's C. Faithfulness in A makes it possible, but unfaithfulness in A, we lose C, and we don't even know we lost it because we never knew it was even possible. And I think that's one of the greatest tragedies in life. And so he says, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, but if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. There's a connection between the blessings of God and our generosity. But there's also, number two, a blessing. Listen, there's a connection. It's it's, it's a cause-effect connection, if you will, between God's spiritual blessings in our life and our physical resources. Now hear me. There's a connection between God's spiritual blessings in our lives and our physical resources. Too many times we want to disconnect the two thinking one doesn't have anything to do with the other. That's unbiblical thinking. That's inaccurate thinking. I don't have time to develop it today, but in the Gospels Jesus says the physical resources in your life are the least thing God holds you accountable for doing. And he says, if you're faithful in that little, I can trust you to be faithful in more important things. But if you cannot be trusted in that little thing of physical resources, I can't trust you with the bigger things I want to do in your life. We think they're disconnected, but they're not. See, one is so connected to our heart. There's a reason Jesus said you can't love God and money at the same time. Because that pulls on our heart, the physical resources of life, pull on our heart, pull on our our heartstrings so strongly competing with Christ in His place in our lives. And God knows that. Do you know what idolatry, and I'm driving the the people running projection crazy because I'm so off script. You know what idolatry is? It's worshiping something God created instead of the Creator. It's not just about an idol, but it's worshiping the physical of this world instead of the God who created this physical world. It goes to the core of our being and relationship with God. And that's why there's a connection between spiritual blessings and generosity and our physical resources, how we approach all of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 9 and following. As, as, as it is written, He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, and notice this, his righteousness endures forever, quoting Psalm 112 from the Old Testament. Now verse 10, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote, Now he who supplies seed to the sower 
and bread for food. You see, every seed you have in life, every resource you have in life, physical resources, skills, talents, everything you have in life, all that seed came from the one who gave it, God. He supplies it. And so he says in verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower, bread for the food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Now, all the TV preachers who get hung up on if you give to God, God will make you rich. You've heard stuff like that, haven't you? It's nonsense, but you've heard it, right? Give to God and God will make you rich. It's nonsense, unbiblical. They love to quote this verse. God will multiply your seed, but that's not just all he says. He says he will multiply your seed for sowing. Now, hang on to that because I'm going to talk about that in a minute. He will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality for and because of your generosity. Now, here's some things you need to keep in mind. Giving does not automatically make someone righteous or godly. We've all joked about people who give trying to buy their way into heaven. Just because someone gives does not mean they are righteous or godly. Let me parenthetically add a warning, though. Sometimes when we say that, we do that. We say it to uh, make ourselves feel better about the fact we don't give. But it's true. Giving does not automatically make anybody righteous or godly. But here's the second thing. Not giving, not giving means we're not as righteous as we think we are. Not giving means we're not as righteous as we might think. We are. Because just like somebody can give money to the church and not be righteous or godly, somebody can do everything else in the church and not be righteous and godly. Just because you're busy at church and you do things at church, that doesn't automatically mean you are truly righteous or godly. It just means you're a good church guy. That's it. Righteousness is about doing what is right for the right reason. It's about being right with God in heart and attitude and action and decision and lifestyle. It's all of that. It's being right with God, inwardly, outwardly. Now, here's some things you need to keep in mind. Giving, though it doesn't make you righteous in and of itself, giving is a sign of righteousness and being right with God. See, just because you give does not mean you're righteous, but here's the flip side. If you are righteous, you will give. Because the more righteous you are, the more you reflect God, the more you become like Him. And a stingy heart is not Christ-like. An open, generous heart is Christ-like. So righteousness is evidenced by a generous spirit, a generous heart, a giving spirit. Here's another thing. Giving and generosity this passage teaches will increase your righteousness. Because when you settle the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life and in righteousness you give, your heart is free of other things that compete for the throne of your life as well. And, and the more you are walking with God and the more open your heart and the more generous you are, God moves in other parts of your life to increase your righteousness. But if you're stingy, it just shuts down so much of what God wants to do in your life. 
There's something else. Generosity, giving, increases the harvest or the impact of our righteousness. Look at verse 10 again, please. Chapter 9, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, the, what, what these Corinthians were doing to demonstrate their righteousness was this generous gift for the struggling saints in Jerusalem. And God says, because you are righteous and you are generous and you're doing it the right way, I'm going to multiply the impact of what you do. I'm going to multiply the harvest or the outcome or the impact of your righteous obedience. I'm going to do more with it because you're righteous and because you're obedient and because you're generous. I'm going to multiply the effect, the outcome. And then here's the last thing. Givers receive more seed from God so they can give more. Now, when we're faithful and God blesses, we enjoy so many benefits. And let's be honest, the more money I have the more things I enjoy in life. That's true in life for any of us. But it's equally true that the more God blesses and the more each of us have, the more opportunity we have to be generous. And he says there, I, give, I increase not only the impact of your righteousness, but I increase the amount of your seed. Why? So you can enjoy all of it on yourself? No, you'll enjoy some things on yourself. But I increase your seed, he says, for what? For sowing. And every time God blesses you with something, God blesses you with more, your first prayer should be, God, what do you want me to do with this blessing? See, percentage giving is about equality so that no matter what our status in life, we can contribute to the kingdom of God. And people give different amounts, but you take the tithe, the 10%, it creates equality. But here's the thing. The more I am blessed, 10% becomes my starting point, not my finishing point. Because the reality is the more we have not only are we able to give more in terms of real dollars, the more we have, the more we can give in terms of actual percentage as well and still enjoy a good quality of life. That's what he's talking about in these verses. How many of you remember the story in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John? This little boy had uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. Remember that story? Now, don't think of like you go out here to the big grocery store and you get a big old loaf of bread. He had five little pieces of bread and two fish. And he gave it to Jesus. And Jesus prayed and he multiplied and he fed a bunch of people. How many people did Jesus feed with those five pieces of bread and two fish? There were 5,000 men plus women and kids. We don't know how many. It was, it was a big crowd. And when they had finished eating, he told the disciples to collect the leftovers. You only had five pieces of bread and two fish to start with, but it was multiplied, fed thousands of people. He said, now collect the leftovers. And when they finished, they collected how much? Twelve basketfuls, a basket for each disciple. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, that when we are righteous and we have a right heart and a right spirit and we're generous, God's able to multiply and do with it more than we ever dreamed possible. Plus, he will open opportunities for us to do more than we originally did. How many of you have ever bought a new house, built a house, or maybe updated the lawn of a house you've been in for a while, and, you know, you're planting shrubs. And one of the most difficult things when you plant shrubs is to believe, to estimate and believe that when it's fully grown, it's going to be this big. Because right now, it's a little bitty old thing. 
and it looks so barren around your house when you put it out. And you want to put them, you, t- you just want to put them closer together. And the problem is, in a few years, they're growing over one another, getting ugly, and you got to cut them back, dig one out, start all over. But see, it's a process of life. It's a natural law of life that God created into existence that that things done the right way get bigger. And by the way, you do know, don't you, that the consequences of sin and wrong choices can get bigger than their initial act? You do know that, don't you? Hmm? This is a principle of life for good, for bad. We, we, we think it's just this, it's this little seed, but you see a seed becomes a, a tree. A righteous seed becomes a righteous tree. A, a sinful seed becomes a sinful tree in your life. Some people today, maybe somebody in this room, really struggling big time with addictions, pornography, alcohol, drugs. And you've been struggling. It's a big tree that started with that first drink. That first pill, that first shot, that first look on the internet, that first magazine. Don't you tell me the first doesn't matter. Don't tell me the seed doesn't matter because they grow for good or bad. Young people, listen and plant righteous seeds in your life and your life will be so much better than if you plant unrighteous seeds. The same thing is true in this spiritual life and in, 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 in financial things. I got, a, I got a telephone call last night. Monisa and I were watching TV. I got a telephone call about 8.30, and, and it was from a guy I hadn't talked to in a few years. His nickname is Junie. His real name is Clyde. We all call him Junie. And Junie's one of those guys who talks really fast, and once he starts, you can't get a word in hardly. And, I, and as soon as I saw his name on my, on my iPhone, I said, oh, no, this will be a two-hour conversation because that's just Junie. But it wasn't. God corrected my wrong spirit, and uh, I answered it, and, 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 and I said, hey, Junie, he said, hey, Steve, hey, listen, I just wanted to call because 35 years ago, now listen, because 35 years ago on this night, two men came to my house, and at 8.15 that night, I got, I got on my knees and gave my heart to Jesus, and my life hasn't been the same since, and I wanted to call and thank you, because 35 years ago, last day of February, 1980, me and a guy named Larry that I had led to the Lord and baptized about a year before went to Junie's house and shared the gospel. And I remember it vividly at 8.15. Junie got, he got on his knees in his kitchen and gave his heart to Jesus and was saved. He's active in church today. In fact, his daughter follows me on Instagram. I don't know if he knows what Instagram is. But he wanted to call and thank me. Now, that was February 1980. Three years before that, 1977, okay, I was a 19-year-old preacher. My home church was building a, a what we would call a mission church today. It's a church, Colson Baptist Church. We were literally building a building. Um, Bill Mackey was my pastor. His brother lives in Lancaster, Ronnie, and Ronnie was a, a contractor, a, a, a carpenter, and Ronnie helped us with the plans. We'd make trips up on the weekend to help us physically build that little church. Sanctuary had about 100, would seat about 120 people. And I can remember being in that sanctuary at 10 o'clock and midnight at midnight hanging sheetrock and doing mud work. And my home church 
members who would never attend that church were giving money above their tithe to help build that church. And so through their giving and volunteer labor, some volunteer labor, we, we built that built that church. That was 1977. And when I was hanging that sheetrock and doing that mud work at 10 o'clock at 9, and when the members of my home church were giving their money so we could build that church, and when Bill's brother from Lancaster, South Carolina, was driving all the way up to Kentucky to help us with that, nobody knew that in just three years I'd be in Junie's house as pastor of that church on that night, and at 8.15 he'd get on his knees and give his heart to Jesus, and today is a deacon in my home church. Nobody knew that. Nobody knew that a year before I would lead Larry and his wife and their son to Jesus and baptize them. And thank God we did because a few years later that son was killed in an auto accident and today he's in heaven. But you see, that's how God does it. Here's A and over here's B. Here's A and over here's C. But B and C don't happen if we don't do A. That's life. That's the principle of Scripture. That God is built into existence. And I love the image in verse 9. When it talks about they scattered abroad, it's the image of a man in that agricultural society 2,000 years ago walking around with seed in his hand with his open hand. He throws the seed. Because until the seed is planted, until the seed leaves your hand, it can't grow anything. And you can go through life with your hand and your heart open to God and watch God work. Or you can go through life with your hand closed and your heart closed and rob yourself of the B and C blessings and the accomplishments God wants to accomplish for His kingdom's sake. And so either your heart is open to God or it's miserly. Your hand is open or it's closed. And that's all connected to righteousness doing the right thing for the right reason because I'm right with God, because I'm coming, I'm becoming more and more like Him. All right, here's the last thing. There's a connection between God's grace working through us to bless others and our generosity. Verse 14, they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Do you know what that's talking about? Over here in Jerusalem, these Christians who grew up Jews, and over here in Corinth, in Greece, these Christians who grew up Gentiles. Jews didn't like Gentiles. Jews shunned Gentiles. A religious Jew would consider himself to be impure and religiously messed up if he hung out with a Gentile. He'd have to go and get right with God. And even after these Jews became believers in Jesus, they still struggled to overcome that upbringing, that prejudice of the past. We can all relate to that. I mean, those of us who grew up around prejudice in America over blacks and whites, you don't get over that all in one night, do you? But can we be honest? God has to grow some stuff out of us. Well, these Christians in Jerusalem of Jewish background were struggling with their attitude toward the Gentiles. And here's the work of God, the grace of God. Here's what God's grace did in both their lives because God touched these Gentiles and they eagerly gave to help these Jewish believers in Jerusalem. He says here, these believers in Jerusalem, God has used what He's done in your life to change their lives and now they are praying for you and they long for you. They have a heart for you. Now instead of shunning you, they long to be with you. 
When your heart is open and generous, God can create in you a compassion and a concern and a love and a care for people that are not part of you or us right now. One of the problems with so many churches is they keep their hands so closed and their hearts so closed that they, they don't care about anybody except their own. And caring for our own is important, but it's the easiest thing we will ever do. It's caring for the people who are not our own, the people who are not here today. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. The church of Jesus Christ exists in any community for those who are not part of it as much as it does for those who are already part of it. God put us here to be a lighthouse, to be a witness, to be an evangelistic testimony, to share and to love and to care. And that's what it's all about. Not just about us, but so much more. So much more. But I've got to wrap this up. The blessings of God will come to us individually as disciples. They will come to us corporately as a church family. They will come in unexpected ways, ways we never imagined. They will come at unexpected times, but always in God's time. They will come to meet a need that is real and to increase our ability to advance the kingdom of God. Let me close. How many of you remember we called it, some of the staff jokingly called it Mount Hog? Y'all remember the big mound of dirt out here in the upper parking lot until a few years ago? Y'all remember that big old pile of dirt? And we after we built phase two and had to do some, we had a big old, big old, big old pile. How many, y'all wave at me. How many remember that big mountain of dirt out there? Now, if we were to ever expand parking, that's where some of it would go. We'd have to get rid of that mountain of dirt. Do you know how much it was going to cost us to move that dirt on our own, get, you know, pay and get that dirt moved? Over $200,000. You know how much it cost us to get that dirt moved? Zero. Because God provided a way. That's what God does. But if you are faithful here, God says, I've got some things over here you don't know anything about right now. But if you're unfaithful over here, so it's commitment time. I want you to do something. This is, this is a sacred moment right now. I want you to, to get out your commitment card. And guys, let's bring the house lights up just a little bit so they can see. Once you get out your commitment cards, some of you brought one with you, others of you, just reach in front of you. The, the pouch on, in, on the back of the chair in front of you has a commitment card and a privacy envelope. You can get one of these out. And before you do anything, I want us to, I want us to, 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 to pray. So what I want you to do is I want you to hold this card in your hand. I want you just to, I want you to, to bow your head. I want you to bow your head. And I want you to listen to the voice of God. So all over the room, as you hold your commitment card, just bow your head and close your eyes. No one moving, no one leaving. Just bow your head and close your eyes right now. And hold your card and pray this prayer. God, confirm in me what you want me to give, what you want me to do. Listen for the voice of God right now. Listen for his voice. Just listen. Now breathe a prayer. Just talk to God. Lord Jesus, many of us have been seeking your voice for months or weeks. Others of us have heard your voice today. 
Thank you for speaking. And thank you for the privilege to be part of your work in this world. Thank you for the joy of being more like you as we grow. And so, God, I pray for everybody in this church family that your spirit will work in their lives, not only to show them what to give, what commitment to make, but beyond that, Father, how to walk with you, how to be blessed by you. Do you know what the Lord wants you to do? Amen. If you would look up and take your commitment card and flip it over to the side that doesn't have the chart on it. It says commitment card at the top. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and take a moment and very reverently and prayerfully right now fill out your commitment card, your name and contact information, but also your commitment, what you're going to give to the 6 and 6 campaign over the next three years. Now remember, this commitment is not a contract. It's your best understanding at this moment in time of what God wants you to do. Well, if you get clarity from God in the future, you can change your commitment at any time. Call the financial office of the church when we have our annual celebration. You can change this. This is not a contract. It's just a way for you to say, this is what I believe God wants us to do. And complete your commitment card. If you want to put it in that privacy envelope, feel free to do so. You don't have to, but you're welcome to. And then in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And when, we sing, and when we're singing, we're going to bring our commitment cards and place them in this chest. And I'm going to have us come by sections, and I'll motion to the section, like I'll motion to this section and this section so we're not bumping on top of each other, okay? And when I point to yours, so keep your eye on me, kind of, and when you see me pointing to your section, just come and bring your commitment card and put them in the chest, and then when, when that's done, we're going to dedicate them to the Lord. So are you ready to, to make your commitment, to bring them to the altar, to commit yourself to the Lord? All right, let's stand, and we're going to sing, and I'm going to ask these two sections right over here on this side where the teenagers are in this section and this section right over here if you would just start coming and Jamie if you'd raise the, the chest open the chest let's sing together